Hi, and welcome to ContourCast. My name is Kat Boyd. I'm joined with the one, the only, Mr. David Jameson. Oh, what an intro. Thanks very much. That's okay. First intro of the new year deserves a bit of showbiz, doesn't it? It does indeed. Um, how was your holiday? It was good. Huh? It was really nice. Yeah. Yours? Uh, quite refreshing. Uh, refreshing. I, I, refreshing um so no it was good i enjoyed it as well actually um and uh now it's back into the uh the horrors of scottish politics oh yeah gotta love it feel particularly grim uh i don't know if it's just the weather uh, and the uh and the dark um but well we're back very much back into it yeah like you know that way that people say like new year new me I've been saying like New Year, same old bullshit me. Yeah. Because we're still having to deal with the same old bullshit. Absolutely. Absolutely. New Year, same old shite. I was saying to a friend, um, you know, when it comes to the pandemic, you could have turned off all media two years ago almost, turned it on back today, and really nothing will have changed on that score. For much of the Brexit period, you could have said that. There was a period of about three years there where you could have turned off on the day of the leave vote, come back, you know, late in 2019 and found that the situation was still essentially the same. With Scotland, and I suppose we'll get on to this, it's even more extreme. Like it doesn't even, it doesn't feel like the status of the constitutional question has changed um, since 2014, which terrifyingly is now, you know. Eight years ago. Oh, it'll be eight years. Eight, cal- eight calendar years, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, like, do you know what's so insane about that? Is like, right, eight years to me doesn't, I, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not that significant, right? But see, when you think about, like, who voted in that election and who participated in that election and young people now, so, like, young people in their 20s would just have been children. Do you know what I mean? They would have been in primary seven. Like, this, when I think about it in that sort of context, like, you know, talk of a second referendum and other people are like, oh, I've just had the last one. It's like, well, no, actually, it's a totally different group of people. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And a um, lot of the arguments that we made at the time, like, with the Rick, RIP, and, you know, like, I just, they just aren't being made anymore. The context is so different. And I don't think you could, like, the arguments that Radical Independence made at the time were genuinely, like, I mean, it was the politics of the far left. Because this is pre-Corbyn. Yeah, and so, so, and and, and all of its time and place. you You couldn't repeat any of that now. I mean, the debate is just so completely and utterly... Well, not when you've got a governing party in the SNP who have said in, like, their own manifestos, like, austerity is over. Like, this is done now. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, whereas when we were arguing those things in 2012, when, like, we had the first RIC conference, it was, you know, to have a public anti-austerity position was an outlier. Do you know what I mean? It was a... It was an unusual thing. It didn't. You didn't hear people like anti-state, like completely opposed to austerity, and um, completely anti-trident, internationalist. It just you didn't. It just wasn't there. And the landscape of 
Scottish politics has shifted so much since then, but very little has really changed. Yeah. The, the window the, dressing has just been replaced. Yes. And that, I think there's now a huge confusion about what a left-wing pro-independence platform would even be. It's very hard to say because they're rhetorically very left-wing, um, but really very status quo politics um, has really colonised politics in Scotland. But, I mean, it's changed everywhere in the sense that even the Tories are rhetorically anti-austerity now. Exactly, exactly. So you couldn't possibly um, run that campaign again. We'll get on to it, but I, I, I have no idea even what the... I've certainly no idea what the establishment campaign for Scottish independence would be, the SNP campaign, um, and they presently don't have one. But, uh, I think it's going to be an SNP Green campaign, won't it? That's the theory. I mean, that's what they're touting in the, in the national and so on. Um, will it happen? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a real campaign at all. I mean, I don't... Um, it's not going to be a referendum. No. Like, we'll get on to that, we'll get on to that. Because one of the things that might derail the whole bullshit about, you know, free by 2023 or by the end of 2023, which is Sturgeon's date, which she's already started to slip from. Um, one of the things that could derail that is a general election. Though I'm, I, I used to think, well, they'll get rid of Boris for a general election. They could easily get rid of Boris Johnson and just not have a general election. Quite easily. I mean, who's going to stop them? Um, but do you, so So this is obviously in the last couple of days, this has become an even bigger story. Boris Johnson clearly flagrantly breaking, breaking the rules all the way through um, the lockdown period. It's almost hilarious to think back now and some of the bullshit that people took seriously. Um, what was the name uh, who got kicked, who, who was the chief medical officer in Scotland? Calderwood. Calderwood, uh, she got she got bounced for she nothing. One of the first. He was one of the first, and there have been controversies about almost everyone because, of course, almost no one can really follow the rules down to a T. And so many public officials. I remember there was a front page story about Nicola Sturgeon uh, standing up in a pub and not having a face mask on, yeah. which you've got I, got okay. sitting down to not have it on, right? <laughs> which is just so ludicrous and so meaningless. But um, so there's been so much of that. And now it's just totally apparent that, uh, yeah, uh, Boris Johnson was just totally ignoring it all the way through. Of course he was. Of course he was. Of course yeah. he was. Like, now there's just evidence for it. But, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily... I think we talked about this briefly the last time, like the first time this story broke. We talked about it on the pod before. And I still find it difficult to get, like, agitated about it. Like, I'm just like... Of course he fucking was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I, I just feel like um cat's lack of fucking surprise. No, no, I know. And um and uh, it was interesting. I was watching some Vox Pops somewhere, Yorkshire or something, about this, and a few people did say, look, of course he was breaking the rules. We were all breaking the rules. Right. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I feel like there's at least in theory a divide in society between people who claim that they adhered to all the rules and people who are honest and can admit that they didn't adhere to all the rules. I mean, it would have been a bit odd if you'd literally done it all to the dot and comma because there was a period of time when you were only allowed out one, once a day. Were people actually abiding by that? You Did you go out more than once a day? Oh, yes. 
I just I just wanted to drop this in there because I want to seem like a rebel. Because yeah. though I mean I, I did I did adhere to it closer than fucking Boris Johnson did, obviously. Didn't they have a party? I didn't have a party. Didn't and have a garden. I, but now I feel like a dick. Now I feel like I should have. Do you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a loser because the there was a guy telling me to do this stuff and I was doing like, it. Like I think that that's the thing is like there's a lot of people right now just feeling completely cucked by government. Do you know what I mean? It's like oh shit like I should have been breaking the rules all along nah, I'm, in future I'm going to be a lot less conscientious I mean I'm just going to go around licking door handles and stuff just, <laughs> just to get back at them just to own them you know um I I definitely went out more than once a day well I mean because it makes no sense not to it does literally nothing just go for a walk but yeah, there was a that really that really good maybe we could like put it in the, the links the there was that really good freddie de Boer substack uh substack article on like living with covid and having now like so not then but like now having to like risk assess things for yourself do you know what i mean like uh if we're gonna live with this then we have to like help people not to be so afraid all the time like I think that the disaster rhetoric around Omicron was like bordering on irresponsible like, yeah, it was yeah. because part of the reason that the I mean right now the NHS is overwhelmed right it's not in danger of being overwhelmed people who are working in the NHS are overwhelmed completely but that's not because of the severity of Omicron that's to do with the systematic underfunding of the National Health Service and all public services, but particularly the National Health Service. Like that's why it, the strain is so great because at no point was there ever like, right, we actually do need to put more resources, more money. Like we need to like build capacity. Do you remember when China were building hospitals in 10 days and stuff? Like there was never any like long-term infrastructure project. So I get why... You know, some people might be in favour of restrictions, but it was bordering on irresponsible in the lead-ups to Christmas. Like, I know people who were terrified that they were going to end up, like, spending Christmas alone and all these things, and it was going to be the same as the year before. And I think it's really damaged public trust that and, and kind of led more people into the conspiracy zone when there's this, like, big rhetoric about, like, this next wave is going to be catastrophic, and then that doesn't materialise in those terms that people are suddenly like hang on a minute like what is going on here yeah i i, I totally agree with that and i don't i i feel like i feel like there was almost a desire uh in, among some people to for omicron to be more deadly than it was which sounds a bit sick but um i mean the thing about omicron that's quite i don't obviously agree with uh, uh What's it called again? Herd immunity, right? In the way it was allegedly proposed by Boris Johnson near the start of the pandemic. There is, of course, a certain logic to that position, which is, and with Omicron, what you have is a relatively safe but rapidly spreading version of the virus, which, of course, would actually develop uh, herd immunity faster than any other type of, of uh, like the Delta variant, for example, which is much more deadly. But apparently not as um, uh, not as easy to spread. I mean, there's a real possibility that something like nine, eight, or nine percent of the British 
population who are unvaxxed. And that's all it is. And you would think it was a lot more to read any headline. At least uh, at 91 or 92% of people by this point, I'm talking about who are eligible, not small children, for example, uh, have, have received at least one jab. Most of those have received two or three. I think something like half of people have had three, right? So see that, but see that remaining seven or eight percent or nine percent. They uh, they're possibly a lot of them a lot more immune now than those of us with the jabs who haven't had it because they've been exposed to it without the without the vaccine. They're more likely to have had something like Omicron. But the the situation in hospitals is ridiculous because they're talking about kicking everyone out of the NHS who every staff member who hasn't, this is in England, has to be said, who hasn't had, uh, who isn't vaccinated, uh, that's believed to be about 7% of the NHS staff role. Now, very obviously, the damage that that would do to NHS capacity is much more dangerous than those 7% of the NHS staff who haven't been vaccinated, obviously. So there's no way you can argue that that's about saving lives or public health, certainly not the, the success of the NHS in, in performing its role. This is all part of the government trying to distract from its own failings, from its own scandals, and to stoke division in the public. And it's totally, totally obvious. And there are still people right now who would rather complain about so-called anti-vaxxers, who must be about 2% of the British population, right? Uh, they'd rather complain about them than complain about... Well, Johnson, or what's an even bigger scandal, is, of course, um, the PPE procurement scandal, which is also heating up and which is getting very little news coverage. Um, so, and then, you know, you got to look at things like companies like IKEA, but this is going on all over, saying that they're not going to provide sick pay to, um, uh, to staff who, who are unvaccinated. Um, now... You can obviously see where this is going. You get, you can easily end up in a situation where it's like social credit in China, where look, if your if your employer can say to you, you haven't had the vaccine, so you're not entitled to sick pay. Why can't they say to you, you're not entitled to sick pay, sick pay because you're obese, right? You're not entitled to sick pay because you smoke. Do you really need that glass of wine? Did you really need to eat a McDonald's for lunch? It's a really slippery slope. I that that is where I do think some of this kind of concern over the biopolitics thing is real because it's it's not in this like the state we don't have states today that are like those type of states that during periods of breakneck industrialization were happy to watch the workers starve to death these days the model of capitalism at least in the parts like in a country like britain the state and employers have an interest in your health and they're willing to use it to discipline you to impose labor discipline uh, and I think people should 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 wise up on that on that score. So, um, but anyway, Johnson, uh, what do you think? Do you think it matters if he goes? I mean, I just wanted to say, like, <laughs> I tweeted about that IKEA story, um, which is the unvaccinated workers will no longer get company sick pay, um. As you've pointed out, like I think that it's a really dangerous precedent, and I think that it should be resisted by like all parts of society, like to split the workforce like that, or even to do you know what I mean, like split people into these two groups, like people who are not vaccinated 
are not the people who are causing these waves to happen. Like that's not what's happening here. Um, And I feel like there's a lot of um, attention from the establishment given to the unvaccinated um, rather than like, I mean, obviously they're not going to consider their own failures, but I worry about like people being lured into a trap of blaming the unvaccinated for spreading the disease rather than looking at the the consistent failures of the state and you know like no infrastructure building like no plan just fucking lock everybody down right (laughs) like i I do think it is it is worrying um so yeah i tweeted about that ikea thing hemorrhaged about 150 followers doesn't go down well with my my Twitter audience defending the anti-vaxxers. No, no, but I, I mean, people will actually say to you, "This is." I've had quite a few people say to me that this is the principle of collectivism triumphing over individualism. I don't. I really don't think that that's a useful frame at all. I mean, I just. I mean, I've never have. I just don't. I don't really think the political philosophies are split into collectivism versus individualism. I mean, if they were. You know, I mean, you know, what I mean, like capitalism is a collectivist ideology in a certain sense. I mean, look at it; it's using it's using ideas of collective responsibility to discipline the workforce, and it always has. You yeah. know what I mean? Like capitalism survived for most of its history, making religious claims about the nature of community and obedience and so on. It's just, it's just a really, I think it's a, a really fallacious attitude that we are the collectivists on the left; they are the individualists. It's a bear. Um, sort of view of yeah but even like on those terms I do actually believe that people have a right to individual liberty of course and, and to me to- <laughs> like, I don't see what the right people can say oh, this is collectivist and I'm like well technically it's being imposed by a bourgeois state like it's, it's going to be a mandated thing that you need this passport and like part of my view of like being a socialist is that you do defend people's individual liberties like yeah. they like to do what they want with like their the body. body of course yeah i, I, I just should not have the right to dictate what people do with their bodies no no i think i think that's a general a general strong kind of principle and there are always going to be arguments around the edge of that and nuances and difficult questions but uh, I, I just don't. I don't think it's ever historically been the case that the socialist movement. Well, th- there were always people on the kind of like authoritarian liberal uh, left and the kind of intelligentsia. There always have been. So like there have always been like H.G. Wells and people who are into like eugenics uh, and all this kind of stuff and had a very kind of linear attitude about what was involved in human progress. You know what I mean? Which is there's a bright techno you know sort of techno future that we're moving towards and anything that impedes that is reactionary and all that kind of stuff but that was never the attitude of of more sophisticated thinkers on the left it's never the, that attitude of people like marx who who is someone who people forget you know emerged from a kind of european republican tradition where ideas about constitutional liberty and democracy and freedom and human emancipation uh, were taken very seriously yeah. and Marx like Marx doesn't doesn't talk about like what the modern left does he doesn't talk about like equality 
or like freedom from being harmed. Like these aren't really concepts that exist in, in the traditional kind of classical socialist attitude. That attitude is always emancipation, which is a word which has kind of disappeared from um, modern political lexicons, but it was always about empowerment. Um, whereas like you get a kind of modern left liberalism, which is all about like, you know, protecting people, um, which, you know, come can come with certain authority and implications protecting us from ourselves protecting us from ourselves yeah like yeah. that's very much how i see that type of politics is like this you know we need to be protected from ourselves mm-hmm. as individuals we can't be trusted like and this begins to reach into like loads of decisions that have happened particularly like in health and welfare like, do you remember all the stuff about like benefits being loaded onto prepaid cars that wouldn't be able to be used for like booze or fags? Do you know what I mean? Like, people need to be protected from themselves. Um, do you know what I mean all those kind of things? Like, that's very much how I see the like part of the modern state like is protecting us from ourselves. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, and and. It- the problem is, I think now structurally, politics is organised around that kind of theme, and I worry that the, the Johnson stuff is kind of getting sucked into it in in a, in a way. Um, which is not to say that I'm one of these people who thinks that like, I mean, I think Johnson should go, but I think we need to be aware that when he's ousted on this basis on the idea of like public safety, uh, that can very rapidly and easily be manipulated by the establishment. And of course, it's quite clear as well that um, um, there's an establishment push behind this. I mean, I think the Tories ultimately want rid of Johnson. Yeah, I do too. I only want to do that in a controlled fashion. Again, I'm not being fatalistic. I don't like these kind of, like, I don't see everything as a conspiracy. I don't think, oh, they're in total control of the situation. I don't think anyone's in total control of the situation. I think there's always room to disrupt um, politics when it's in a vulnerable place like this, when the, when the, the most senior political figure in the country is being made to look utterly ridiculous. I think that can have uh, side effects that are very difficult to control in, in public attitudes. It's very interesting to see how this is landing in, in sort of like Tory majority areas and stuff. From what I've heard, there's a huge, there's a huge feeling of like, um, like betrayal and stuff, right? So it's, it's interesting to see how that pans out. But at the same time, I suspect the people who are trying to get rid of Johnson, like I already saw, I think it was Owen Jones saying, the people who are trying to replace him are going to be coming from the right or something. If, if it wasn't him, I apologise, but it was, it was some newspaper calling this, right? And it was very much in that tone of like, disaster capitalists, everything's a conspiracy. There is no one coming from the right to get rid of Boris Johnson. The only obvious successor is Sunak, or Liz Truss, both are total Remainers, both on the Liberal wing of the party, vote both in the kind of establishment wing of the party, the kind of Treasury party, the, the men in grey suits, right? This idea that like people are desperate for some sort of fascist insurgency on the left because they think it's going to solve problems for them. They think it's going to solve the fundamental problem of like the socialist left's isolation or something, right? Or that the, the, the rift between the left and the wider public if some terrifying force emerges and it will unify people or create some kind of radicalizing impulse, right? It's quite a morbid attitude, but in any case, it's not happening, right? 
the the center in British politics is really, really strong, right? It's really strong at the moment. And the danger of the far right is that it can feed off that hegemony, right? Down the line. The danger is not that it's about to sweep to power. So I think if Johnson does go, it will be like a controlled explosion. And uh, the, the, I assume it will be sooner. I mean, that's that's the kind of idea here. The and only thing that he's got against him is the fact he's very short. He is. He is like a it's tiny. Little... Like a statistical thing about like, or maybe that's the U.S. president. Like the taller candidate always wins. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of um, yeah, there's some kind of equation about that. But the um, money would have to be on Rishi Sunak, and he he's not. I mean, he's not from. He's not a swivel-eyed backbencher. No, no, he's very, very, very. I mean, he is a capitalist himself, and he's very much part of the party establishment. And um, and people say, well, he's not charismatic, and of course, that's what Boris Johnson had. He was good communicator, wasn't he? I mean, he's. I don't know, but he he cut through in a certain political moment, right? Very much aided by the Labour Party adopting the second referendum position. But I think the Tory party want all that behind them. Yeah. They don't like Brexit. And I think they, probably, they want to put that behind them. They bring in Sunak. He's not charismatic. The public will turn off, which I think they want. I think they want someone who's just seen as a safe pair of hands. Safe pair of hands. Like, that's like, that would be my branding for him. Yeah, yeah. Steer the country through these difficult times. A, a safe, if rather small pair of hands. Yeah. <laughs> Sunak's safe hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing is, he's built up a degree of political capital because he did all the furlough and all that stuff. Uh, and then he starts to slowly, very slowly, draw the UK back into alignment with the European Union. I think that's the kind of long-term perspective here. I'm talking, though, over like a 10-year period or something. Um, and it's, I mean, by that point, we really have kind of shared the last vestiges of the, the famous political interregnum of Britain of kind of 2014, 2016, 2017 through 2019, because Labour's gone from Corbyn to Starmer, absolutely boring, safe pair of hands, Johnson to, uh, uh, to Sunak, and Sturgeon, of course, is just cruising along forever, apparently. Forever and ever, I'm in. But I think that that's part of the centrist restoration. Mm. I think I think that the boredom offensive is a genuine psychological part of it, and I suspect that they think at least that there's a constituency for that, um, because people are sort of sick of politics after the Brexit affair. I think they like the idea of these utterly tedious creatures. Well, I think there is a constituency for it. Is all I'm saying. Um, so yes, I mean I think I think. It's not a conspiracy, but I think there's a real, and has been probably for a time, like an attitude that Johnson should should make way for a more traditional Tory figure, a more reliable party man, as it were. But do you think that this is going to be the moment? I don't know. To, I, I mean, I, I, I think... Uh, I think it could be. Um, it's very hard to say. I mean... Uh, you might you might hobble on for a bit, and then the party will choose a slightly more opportune moment to replace. It. He yeah. could even be told, like, "Look, you've got you've got 
six months, get your legacy in, in order, and we'll start looking for your replacement or something. I don't, I don't really know. I think it's seldom wise to make predictions of that kind. Um, I, mean, I was, I was sure that he would manage to like continue to sort of like hobble along and sort of weather it, but like in the last, so we're recording this what on the on Wednesday, hmm. um, at half five. Um, it kind of like like all the Tories coming out now and saying he's got to go publicly. So yeah, in Scot in Scotland, the, the Scottish Tory party is basically coming out and saying he needs to go. Not that that would be lethal for him. No, I don't think it is lethal for him. I think it's also politically um, expedient of the Scottish Tories. Of course, and they've been doing that for years. I mean, they've been they they, they were, were anti Brexit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um. I mean, they are the 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 most fucking shit lib bit of the Scottish Conservatives. I was mean, sorry, of the Conservative Party UK. Um, was why we can say that there are only liberal politicians in the Scottish Parliament. Um, so they're very much part of that consensus up here. So yeah, I think that's a smart move for them. But but I, look, whether it happens now or whether that happens a bit in future, I can't I can't imagine them leading um, the Tories into a general election. I mean, I think that it's it's a, it's done. It's just a question, really, of timing now. Or certainly being in charge of the uh, the second Scottish independence referendum. Yes, which um, is to happen by the end of twenty twenty three. Which is definitely going to happen. Definitely going to it's happen. Late, it's to collate. You should go around around collating the politicians who have said in the most unequivocal terms that it's definitely going to happen. Uh, some of them are stupid enough to do that, like Pete Wisher, who's um, like the longest standing SNP MP, he actually tweeted, like, you know, everyone who says it's not happening is just, you know, malicious. And look, it's it's going to happen. We're legislating for it and it's going to happen. But before the end of 2023, um, I've just put up an article um, on Connor where I just say, like, look, think about the timing, right? So <laughs> already like halfway through January, uh, 2022 by this point in, in 2013 like yes Scotland was up and running there was an agreement between London and Edinburgh the Edinburgh agreement right uh, and yes Scotland had been up and going for about six and a half months by this point it had a leader it had staff it had premises in Glasgow and all this kind of shit and it was called yes Scotland and they could call it that because on the ballot paper it said yes and no we don't even know what it would say on the ballot paper at this point. So, I mean, it's self-evidently total bollocks. Um, I'm just like, you know, I mean, on one level, it's sort of kind of funny just how bottomless the cynicism of the SNP leadership actually is. But, you know, I think it is also, I think it can also become quite dangerous. Like, I think we're going to end up with that kind of, uh, symptom in Scottish politics that you saw, that we saw break down in like 2016, right? Do you remember at the time, all the kind of like commentary at liberal left commentators were like, the, the ones who, who fancy themselves a bit radical or a bit more intelligent, some of them were just screaming. I mean, some of them were just saying fascism is here, Brexit, Trump, et cetera, et cetera. But there were also kind of sort of, you know, people like writing these kind of lengthy pieces for open democracy saying, this didn't come out of a clear blue sky. You know, um, liberal democracy has failed. We need a radical reform of society, et cetera, et cetera. And you just think, well, here we are. 
2022, around the world, the Bidens, I mean, the, the complacent liberals that were being raged against by the, by the intelligentsia uh, eight years ago or whatever, five or six years ago, they're all back. There's no rage now. There are no calls for these kind of sweeping reforms. Um, and in Scotland, it, that picture is as bad and as complacent as it could possibly be. The picture is universal fucking policy fuck up, one after another after another. Um, the SNP are so comfortable in power, it is unreal. Um, they, and it's just, I mean, it's slovenly, zero dynamism in Scottish politics. And, you know, the politicians like Nicholas Sturgeon are just consistently lying, just consistently lying about when there's going to be another referendum. Yeah. And I, I mean, just I don't even think they genuinely believe there's going to be another no. referendum. I think no. it's all optics. Um, I think it's clear it's optics. There's a council election coming up. Like, and see, once you take away the COVID crisis, once you take away, like, if you were to say there isn't going to be a referendum, what is left for the SNP is just like a fucking hellish domestic record. Yeah. There's nothing appalling else. failure after failure after failure. Drugs, education, like local authorities, like I mean, spectacular failure. Yeah, and it, and it go and I mean, it's it that falls on the Greens as well, who are in coalition now, but they passed the last SNP budget as well. The budget late last year didn't get as much, as much coverage as it should have. The Greens accepted cuts to every area of like environmental policy, environmental protection. They accepted huge cuts to policies to protect the environment in Scotland, right? I mean, I've long, long since stopped believing that they're an environmentalist pie, um, even if that was a kind of viable concept. But, you know, I mean, that they the, the record is zilch at this point. It is a totally cynical circus of just bullshit just endless bullshit and yeah i think i mean when i was saying earlier i think some politicians wanted omicron to be more serious than it was i was thinking of Sturgeon. yeah i think she wants it to be more serious than it was because if it's, if it's serious then you don't have to look at like the complete bomb scare that is will there be a referendum and you don't even you don't have to look at like the other massive bomb scare which is your record Sorry, my phone was ringing there. No, I know. I was Nicola on the phone. Aye. Being like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, I saw you did a Twitter poll about whether or not people think. I did do a Twitter poll. Well, I check how it's doing now. Yeah. How many people? The, the fresh. Highly, highly scientific, by the way. This, you know, this is peer reviewed stuff. Yeah, but uh, why? I want our actual polling company to do this. Yeah, it would be interesting. Of course, right. So it's got um short, just short of uh, just short of five thousand votes. Okay. Um, and I've said, do you honestly think there will be an actual NDF two by the end of twenty twenty three? Ten percent say yes. Hmm. No, of course. Um, as you, you you suspect that a lot of those people are like unionists, right? I will caveat it heavily with saying that I did look into the abyss of the the comments and like a lot of it is like insane unionists. I bet I've kind of forgotten they existed. 
No, I know, I know. There's even one guy being like talking about how my surname's Boyd, and that means I'm a loyalist and all this fucking crazy shit. Um, there's Boyd was an Irishman. People with spectacular profile pictures. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I saw one, <laughs> saw someone made one of like Nicholas Sturgeon giving a speech at like a podium. And instead of saying like stronger for Scotland, they've like covered it saying, I am fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually forgotten about um, the of Unionist Twitter. I remember, I, I remember that famous speech that Nicholas Sturgeon uh, made. I am fucking insane. <laughs> um, no, I one of the things I always remember about um, that kind of like ultra unionist Twitter, one of my favourite things they did because it was so mindless was they spread this meme that Nicholas Sturgeon had shit herself doing a, a, a speech at an SNP conference, right? Because she had. Like, so that the, the picture was from behind. She's given a speech at a podium at SNP conference. And her skirt was kind of crumpled in a way that could be made to, you know, suggested to look like she'd shat herself, right? And this, honestly, was on kind of ultra-unionist Twitter for, like, years. And That's every so often, fucking bananas. It's absolutely bananas. And every so often you get it. I don't know. It was like, if I was working at Common Space or something, I'd do something about the story about the SNP or something, and people would just tweet at it, this picture of that, here's your dear leader, and she shat herself like that. Uh, you just got loads of tweets like that. So no, there, there are loads of like funky wee tribes out there. I mean, that's, that, it, it kind of makes me think of like a lot of the, like the Biden memes, except they're mostly true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know. Oh man, like I st- I'm starting to feel sorry for Joe Biden. Yeah. Like that's that's the stage we're at now. Is like I f- I genuinely feel sorry for him. What was that thing? Was it you that sent me the the word cloud? No, but I did see this. Yeah. So it's a word cloud of um how people are reacting to it. Oh yeah, it's from polling USA. Word cloud for Biden from a December YouGov poll. Like what words mostly associate with Biden? It's just like. The thick one is old and incompetent. And I'm just like, this is fucking elder abuse. That is cruel. Like putting that man out there. Trump started the ball rolling though by, by nicknaming him Sleepy Joe Biden. What does <laughs> Sleepy appear there? It does the word Sleepy appear. Uh, no, it actually doesn't. But he can't. I, I, can't, I can't see it there. There is like um, senile puppet um ineffective <laughs> there's also like yeah just lost lost this is tragic this is it here I'll, oh you can't see because we're on zoom <laughs> so I, <laughs> i've got a cheek <laughs> what association cat, cat, sleepy cat boys sleepy cat boys uh old um so anyway i um but no, I, I also saw that on your on your uh, on your Twitter poll. There were loads of people saying, and people say really weird like stuff about you. Stuff like, uh, oh well, you know, she she's converted to unionism, but you know, do fill in the poll anyway. There's lots of strange theories going on about you. There's people who think that you're like a unionist plant, um, and then there's people who 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 take you asking the question 
to mean that you like think it's going to happen. So there's loads of unionists piling in from the other end and being like, look at this deluded soul. Um, but anyway, I, I, I think, I mean, I probably do think that, you know, that might actually reflect the numbers of people who, um, who really think there's going to be a referendum. It could only be five or 10% who are like real diehards, like SNP diehards. Because if you look at the polling, um, it suggests, for example, that people, even people who want independence one day, don't want it in the next five years. So this is the level of like, the, like delusion that's involved here among people who think there is going to be a referendum. They think Nicola Sturgeon's going to drive a referendum against majority opinion, even of independent supports, which is just definitely not going to happen. Mm. Um, but this is, I don't know, this is just a, this is what Scottish, Scottish politics has become now. Like, it's a shame that the phrase gaslighting has been ruined with by kind of like editorials in American magazines called things like Donald Trump is gaslighting a nation. Donald Trump is actually quite upfront. You know what I mean? Donald Trump is actually not a kind of like gas. I mean, he would say things like, I am the least racist person in the world, right? I don't know that that qualifies as a quality mindfuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> no president has done more for black people than Donald Trump and referring him to himself in, in the third person. You miss him so much. I do, I do. And I miss all those little, like, so, but, but I mean, that's not, that's not gaslighting, is it? I mean, that's not, that's not carefully manipulating someone's perceptions of the world. No, just, dangling a fucking referendum time and time again in front of people yeah. so that you can like dodge the fact that you've achieved very fucking little in yeah. your epic reign. Yeah, and, and just just sort of white knuckling it through every single interview and just saying for year after year after year after year, it's just around the corner. It's next year, it's next year, it's next year. It's always next year. And that has been going on for so long. And I don't, I mean, I don't know because it's almost like an experiment for me. Like I was saying this to someone yesterday, for all that this is horrible, it has actually been kind of interesting because it's helped me understand how important a certain type of public psychology is to modern politics. Like that kind of stuff is important. So for example, today, like, I mean, think about how Keir Starmer took over from Jeremy Corbyn. I think a lot of people who were former Corbynites who voted for Starmer kind of did and kind of didn't believe he was going to stick to those 10 pledges that he made when he said he was going to stick by the kind of the substance of Corbyn's policies. I think a lot of people kind of believed that, but they also sort of didn't, but they, were, they, they accepted their de deferential position. And I think it's exactly the same with this endless series of referendums that are never going to happen. I think even people who say they believe it just kind of believe it. And I think that that sort of psychological relationship to a political figure or a political cause is quite important to how we understand contemporary politics. Because it's almost like, a, you know, it's sad in a way. It's like, it's like people, it's like people who, who like, this is a very common thing in society. They have a dream of, of what their life could be. But on some level, everyone accepts that it's not going to happen. Um, and most, and, and it helps people get through their lives to some extent, but it's uh, a self-deluding self kind of delusion. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to call this episode, I want to believe, because all I've got in my head is that X-Files poster 
you know the one yeah. with the the ufo that says i want to believe like yeah. i might make one of them <laughs> yeah scottish independence i want to believe yeah yeah you could yeah you could have like uh you could have a ballot paper going into a ballot box with you know sturgeon's face looming over it just saying i want to believe (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah because of course that's it's the same thing it's it's wanting to believe the world is a somewhat less kind of like mundane place than it actually is totally of course you can can especially if you live through that period you can understand it because the alternative is that Scottish politics, the evolution era politics, is like it was before 2014 and before 2012, which was just dreary as fuck. Apart from the first parliament. Why? With the SSP. Yeah. Uh, that was the least interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, the, yeah, the SSP were interesting. I suppose you had stuff like the G8, which we had a revival of recently, and but you know, when was the Scottish Parliament ever like the locus of, uh, of like, what's the what's the way I'm trying to describe this? It's never the site of like, it's never the site of struggle. It's never the site of conflict. No, it's it's just not. It it is designed. The Scottish Parliament has been designed at the end of history, and it's yeah. been designed to govern over the end of history. And since history has come back and made this comeback, like we are, Scotland is kind of trapped in this like weird dimension where things things are all like sort of out of kilter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and the Devo Max option is the ultimate bring back the end of history. The ultimate, completely. Like this is again, I'll use this phrase of like the politics of rupture. Has never been more necessary. Yeah, but and 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 you could have. I I we probably have to discuss this on a future episode, but I I do think that that's there's a possible the real possibility that that is a position that will be evolved towards over time, because look ultimately, I I think I think that the I think that the pro the the barriers to independence from the point of view of the SNP, not from my point of view, but from the point of view of the SNP leaders the problem the barriers to achieving independence are actually existential Mm. like i think on a certain level they don't believe in it i think they think that there is no suitable currency option there is no option through independence which creates the correct relationship in terms of things like trade between the uk and the european union and scotland being a third player in that i actually think that they i think sturgeon just doesn't see a way through anymore um, and I don't, I can't imagine any successor will be able to see a way through, or would have the authority or the kind of personal charisma to go for what is at the end of the day like a very audacious political project. Mm. And I just don't think they've got the teeth for it at all. Agree. Oh, on that uplifting note, happy New Year, everyone, um, and we will see you next week. See ya.